Well, there was a couple from Minnesota who decided to go to Florida for a long weekend to thaw out during a really bitter cold winter. And because both had difficulty getting their time off of work coordinated, one flew down earlier than the other. And upon arriving, the husband then checked into the hotel and there he decided to open his laptop and he sent his wife an email back in Minneapolis. However, he accidentally let, out, let off one of the letters in her address and sent the email without realizing his error. <clears throat> in Houston, a widow had just returned from her husband's funeral. He was a minister of many years who had been called home to glory following a long illness. The widow checked her emails expecting messages from relatives and friends, but upon reading the first message, she fainted and fell to the floor. The widow's son rushed into the room and found his mother on the floor and saw the computer screen which read, to my loving wife from your departed husband, I've arrived. <clears throat> I've just arrived, was the subject matter. I've just arrived and been checked in. I have to see, uh, <clears throat> oh, sorry. I've seen to it that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is uneventful as mine was. P.S. Pack lightly, it's hot down here. <laughs> uh, yes. Emails and texts. Something is lost in translation. I'm glad you like that. Well, anyways, we saw in our study last week that Paul had defended his life and ministry as he explained that the whole heart of his calling is to proclaim the message of how people can be reconciled to God through the death of Jesus. And as we come to chapter 6, the very first verse in our study, it seems maybe a bit out of place at first. <clears throat> Paul begins by appealing to the believers at Corinth not to receive the grace of God in vain. So what is Paul talking about here? Was he saying that they weren't really believers? Well, that's not how he wrote this letter. They are his brethren. How can believers be in danger of receiving God's grace in vain? The Greek word translated in vain means empty. <clears throat> and Paul was concerned that they were in danger of receiving God's grace without the intended results of that grace. Their response to, to the grace of God was making it worthless in their lives and just not accomplishing what God intended it to be. Paul speaks to these people as genuine believers, which would then mean that any of us are capable of doing what the Corinthians did, receive God's grace in an empty way that doesn't produce God's intended desire. We have to keep in mind that Paul has just taught on the ministry of reconciliation. We saw that last week in chapter 6 continues really to explain the ministry that God has called Paul to. We saw in chapter 5 that Paul's ministry was to appeal to people as an ambassador for Christ to be reconciled to God. But in this chapter, he focuses, his focus is reconciliation should not be hindered in any way. And so he appeals to these believers not to hamper the outreach of the gospel. In other words, we must make sure as believers that we are not doing anything that would stop or hinder the spread of the gospel. So how uh, was the gospel hindered? Let's look at the failure to appreciate the grace of God in these first two verses. And working together, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, 
At the acceptable time, I listen to you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul states that as an ambassador for Christ, as one God had used to appeal to others for their salvation, so now God was appealing through him to the Corinthians for their sanctification. As believers in Christ, he's telling them not to falter in their faith and the truth that they knew, <clears throat> the faith of how salvation comes to us. Live your life totally dedicated to the one who saved you and showed your gratitude to him for the grace that he has given you. You may recall back when we started uh, our opening coffee sometime back that what was going on in this church was that there were false uh, apostles that had come in and they were trying to tell everyone that Paul was the deceiver. They had the truth and they were bringing in works along with grace. So the reason Paul was so driven was not because he was crazy as he was accused of, Rather, it was because he understood the grace of God. That's what motivated him to passionately serve his Lord. But these believers in Corinth had lost their zeal for Christ. They had believed some of these lies about Paul, thinking he was crazy. And their poor response to the grace of God is why Paul says they received the grace of God in vain. The amazing grace of God that saved them should have caused them to have the same kind of zeal and total commitment to their Savior that Paul had. However, these believers had allowed these false teachers to undermine their confidence in the truth of Christ's work being sufficient for their salvation. So these men had come in and said, yes, you have to believe in Jesus. Yes, he died on the cross for your sins. Yes, yes, yes. It is God's grace that saves you, but you must, you know, you fill in the blank because that's been going on ever since the church began. Remember, these false teachers had corrupted the message. They had watered it down. They had added works and law-keeping to the message. And some of the Corinthians, well, they all should have known better. And yet they allowed these false teachers to influence their thinking about Christ. And in doing so, um, they did not have the same devotion to Christ because of that. Their love and devotion to Christ had weakened because they had been drawn away from the simple gospel message of salvation by grace through faith alone. This is a danger every believer faces should we let any type of error or false teaching impact how we think about Christ or how we think about his death as a basis for our salvation. You will lose your zeal and your passion for him if you stop appreciating the sacrificial death that he made for sinners. When you are in awe of, of his grace in your life, that he would save a wretched sinner like you and like me, then you will want to serve him with zeal, and you will have a desire for greater godliness in your life. Because you know how rotten you really are, and how amazing his grace really is. I mean, come on. Maybe you have never placed your faith in Jesus alone to save you. And the good news is that we saw last week, you can be reconciled to God because of what Jesus Christ did on your behalf on the cross. And perhaps you have been reconciled, but you've lost your focus of his grace and love for you in dying for you and paying your sin debt. The truth of his grace should grip our hearts so that his grace will have the results of being conformed to be more and more like him, telling others about him as well. Otherwise, his grace will be in vain, not having the results that God intended in lives that have been changed by his grace. So 
Paul goes on then to quote from Isaiah 49.8, where the Father is speaking to his servant, the Messiah, promising to help in restoring and saving the children of Israel after they would come back from exile. And just as there was a specific time in the Old Testament when God was going to restore them and will restore the Jewish people, so today is a specific time God is saving Gentiles. And instead of the Corinthians questioning Paul's zeal, Really, they should have been having that same zeal that he had. God continues to call out of people for his name, and he uses believers to proclaim that message of God's grace and grace alone. So when we forget to appreciate the grace of God in our lives through Christ, we fail then to be telling others about how they can be reconciled, and that is a hindrance. Now, there's another hindrance seen in verse 3. And that is, the servant of God can discredit the gospel by their life and the way they live. Giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. Paul was so careful to live a life that would not hinder the message that he gave people. The message and the lifestyle of the person, they do go together. They can't be separated. And that is why scripture gives such high standards for the character of all spiritual leaders in the church. First Corinthians or First Timothy three, one through seven, Titus talks that servants in the church are to be above reproach in all areas. These standards for church leaders are for everyone serving in leadership in the church. You know, Paul was so careful not to ever give anyone an excuse to reject his message because look how you live. His behavior uh, never put obstacles in the way of someone hearing the message that he gave. So we have to understand that the life of every believer who claims to have come to a relationship with Jesus Christ and know him have to be so careful that the way we live isn't putting a hindrance to unbelievers listening to the message. And that being true, the scriptures also makes it clear that the message of salvation by grace alone is, I remind you, it is an offensive message. I mean, to the, the world of the cross is, is foolishness because the message of the cross just points to the fact that you will never be good enough and you could never do anything to impress God. So it destroys your human, human pride and people don't like to hear that they're wicked and they're sinful and that they can't please God on their own. So the cross is offensive. But the point here is that you may give a message that people are offended by, but you don't want to make sure that your life is not an offense, <laughs> that you're sharing with people this message. Let it just be the message of the cross, not the way you live. Really, we should never be guilty of discrediting the truth of God's word. And the Greek word has the idea uh, in this word discrediting of mockery and ridicule. One only has to turn on their TV to see how this has been put into uh, entertainment. Uh, for the person to proclaim Christ, at, that saved them from their sin, and then to live in a behavior totally inconsistent with that faith gives all the material comedians and entertainers need uh, for ridiculing and mocking the gospel. I mean, how many times you just look at how are Christians and how are ministers portrayed in t on TV shows. I mean, they're, they're bigots, they're narrow, they're, they're liars, they're immoral, they're deceitful. I mean, you just, almost anything you watch, that is how Christians are portrayed. 
God is blasphemed by the way he's represented to unbelievers who then use all of that as their ridicule, the inconsistency and the disobedience. You know, you know I'm sure you've met some people, and I hope you're not one of them, where your life is so um, inconsistent with your profession that you just hope you don't say anything to anybody. You know, I've met people like that. Don't witness, please, because that's just bad because you don't want anyone associating what you say you believe with the way you live and your rotten behavior or attitudes. So, anyways, whether it is the misuse of money or lying or immoral behavior or anger, whatever it is, unbelievers notice it and they exploit it and the gospel is then not taken seriously. You and I are to be different. We show people the gospel message, we, we share it with them, and we show it's true by the fact that we obey the word of God that we're claiming to base our salvation on. True servants of Christ are willing to suffer for their Savior, too. Paul goes on to say, But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance and affliction and hardships and distresses and beatings and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and in hunger. Paul is showing <clears throat> that he is a legitimate servant of God, even though he's being told that it was otherwise by the, to the Corinthians. But he is a servant. Just look at his conduct in the midst of suffering. We are given nine of ways Paul suffered in these verses. There are many more in his life, but all of his uh, service showed endurance. In the middle of this, he never took off and said, I'm done. This is too much. I can't do this. But true believers prove their faith when they endure and persevere in suffering. Anybody can say, I love Jesus, praise the Lord, when everything's good in their life. <clears throat> but when you're in the midst of tremendous stress and trial and sorrow, <clears throat> these are the things that make you stronger in your faith. Not to say you won't struggle, but you do come out the other side. And Paul is trying to help them to see that no one would endure all of these things if they weren't genuine in their service and love for Jesus Christ. The words afflictions and hardships and distress are general words used to describe pressure that Paul was under and really oppressive situations. Remember in our first chapter, he despaired even of life. There was a lot of difficulty that he was enduring. And this is the reality actually for those who serve Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus said, you know, you are going to have tribulation and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So when you serve him, you can expect these types of trials. It just comes with service. But you persevere because he is worth serving and loving and obeying and dying for. <clears throat> so these are general trials that uh, come about as the pressures of, and difficulties in just serving the Lord. Uh, but there is suffering that comes because of the actions of other people in beatings, imprisonment, and in tumults. So these things happen to Paul because he, uh, those who oppose the gospel, I remind you in our study of Acts that we saw um, the religious people of his day uh, hating him, mobs being gathered, lies about Paul being said, out of control mobs wanting to beat and kill him, him being beaten with rods and whips and then put in stocks, ankles uh, and chains and so on, all for his witness for Christ. 
Yet he remained steadfast in his devotion. And you know what? I love, I love Paul because every circumstance he was in, he knew God was sovereign. And he knew God was in control. And he didn't get there in a prison and go, well, what in the world are you doing now, God? He just saw this is the next place I'm supposed to share with people the truth. It wasn't what maybe I had in mind. But he was faithful to present the gospel wherever he was. So Paul also endured uh, tumults. As I said, that's the riots. <clears throat> and besides all of this, there were labors and sleeplessness and hunger. Sometimes the ministry that Paul was involved in deprived him of sleep and even food. He's not saying all this so he can get a pat on the back and say everybody be impressed with him. Rather, he's simply presenting the fact that a legitimate service of, servant of Christ will suffer hardship for their Savior whom they love. And Paul believed it was worth all of this suffering if he was being pleasing to his Lord and Savior. And I can assure you that every man and every woman that God has ever used in any way in service for his kingdom has endured such attacks and heartache as a result. I mean, whether your ministry is focused in your home to your children or you volunteer to be a part of some other ministry and prisons and Sunday schools and whatever, you can expect opposition and a whole uh, host of things that will come at you that you just had no clue would be coming at you. It goes with the territory. And then we see true servants reveal their godly character in times of stress, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in genuine love. <clears throat> there were no scandals in Paul's life. Uh, despite all that he suffered, he was morally pure, ethically pure. He was someone who had integrity. Those who preach the gospel message are to live by the truth. They are not to compromise. You better be sure that you are sitting under the teaching of men who are servants like Paul who actually practice what they preach. Not with perfection. Obviously, only Jesus is perfect. Paul never wavered in his knowledge of the gospel message that he understood and that he proclaimed. He was patient when he was wrong. He didn't <laughs> seek to retaliate. I mean, you know, you'd really like to go back and say a few things to the Corinthians. Uh, how, uh, how contrary it is to many today who can't even handle any criticism or who water down the message that the Bible has in order to accommodate their own sinful choices. Paul walked in the power of the Spirit being under the control through obeying the Word of God. Paul's love for people was so genuine and real, and it is this love that caused him to press on and serve others. None of this was said out of boastful pride, as I've mentioned. Paul considered himself the chief of sinners. The truth is, whether you are a Christian leader or you are a leader in your home taking care of your children, it is your behavior that will either discredit the name of Christ and damage it or enhance. I mean, you are the example, if you're raising children, of what Jesus is to look like. And you cannot blame the pressures of your home. Paul didn't go, look, no food, out in the deep, beaten, I just, I can't handle, I'm, I'm too stressed. No, he was faithful to represent his Savior. And whether you're in a leadership position or just leading your children, you are responsible to set an example that honors the Lord. 
So how did Paul endure all of these things in the ministry, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left? So whether Paul was misunderstood by believers or despised by unbelievers, he never wavered in his mission to proclaim God's word. He knew the truth is what people needed to hear, whether they liked it or not. Paul never changed the message to make it a little more sociably appealing. Uh, he understood people needed to hear the truth of the gospel. And Paul also preached in the power of God. He knew the gospel message transformed lives. I mean, he says in Romans, it is the power of God. That this is the gospel. Paul understood that the success of his ministry didn't depend on his speaking ability. It was the power of God that changes lives. And though he faced opposition continually, he understood that God demonstrated his power as he changed lives as people heard and responded to the gospel. Paul uses a military picture here, as he does many times in his letters, uh, when he tells us that God has provided us with righteous weapons for the battles that we face. I remind you, uh, the context is ministry, as Paul is speaking of these spiritual battles as a Christian leader. He will further develop this when we get to chapter 10, where he speaks of destroying all false religious beliefs that exalt themselves against the true knowledge of God. The battle, ladies, is for the souls of men, and Satan's target is the mind. And this is why we must take every thought captive. We just don't have the freedom to let our minds go out into la-la land of fear, anxiety, worry, and and confusion and unbelief. We have to bring our thoughts captive. But Paul was equipped with God's word to meet error uh, that would come at him from any direction. And then he goes on to speak about the trials of being misjudged. And that's a tough one. In verses 8 through 10, you know, Paul endured people evaluating his ministry, some with praise others with absolutely critically critical, awful things to say about him. Some people misjudged him, other people were somewhat accurate. Glory and dishonor, evil report, good report. People are gonna have perceptions that may vary. Some hated Paul, others loved Paul. But Paul's ambition, it wasn't to get a following, it wasn't to get a pat on the back. We saw last week his ambition was to be pleasing to the Lord. He didn't live to get people's admiration or applause. Then there were those who spoke evil about Paul behind his back, and that's especially what had been going on at Corinth. Accused of being a liar, greedy, poor speaker, immoral, always suffering because of his own rotten behavior. But there were those who knew the truth and they spoke well of Paul. Paul was loyal to his savior and he endured all of this, never or compromising his message or his lifestyle to try to impress people or make them talk better about him. Regardless, uh, or rather, regarded as deceivers and yet true. Rumors spread that Paul was the imposter. The men who had come into Corinth were saying, he's the imposter, he's the deceiver, we're the ones telling you the truth. Sad to say, many liberal theologians have that same view of Paul today in, in seminaries across our country what he's taught and how he's taught has been uh, shut down. No matter what was said about Paul, you know what, he didn't let it distract him from his mission. He was Christ's ambassador, he preached the words of Christ, and you know it has to, had to have been difficult for Paul because nobody likes to be disliked. Nobody likes to be lied about and accused of things you know you didn't do. That's really hard. But he persevered because he belonged to Christ, he stayed true to his calling, and after all, 
When Jesus uh, healed a man from demon possession, what was the result of the spiritual leaders in that day? Oh, well, he did that because he's in league with Satan. So this is nothing new. I mean, if that's how Jesus was perceived, why would we be surprised when we're falsely accused as well? Paul also endured the trial of people's uh, perceptions about him as unknown, yet known. For some, uh, he just wasn't famous enough and worth listening to. I mean, he used to be a rabbi, but now he's not even that, you know. So he's a nobody. And other people thought he was a great somebody because he shared the truth of the gospel with them. <clears throat> Paul was the inspired writer to, and a church planter and greatly used by God. And there were those who recognized that. He said, as dying, yet behold, we live. Sure looked like he was dying a whole lot of times, didn't it? I mean, he spirit of life and over, but God sustained him. He says, as punished, yet not put to death. There are those who thought his suffering were simply the punishment for his sins. But Paul was suffering for Jesus, and it wasn't yet time for Jesus to take him home. The life of Jesus was manifested in our body, Paul says, as God kept rescuing him and sustaining him. This is not to say that difficulties don't come, also because of God's dealing with our sin. He does discipline his own children, as Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 makes that very clear. Uh, in Paul's case, this wasn't God's discipline, but rather proof that Paul was being sustained by God as he was his servant. Paul had this perspective, and because of this, he could endure being thought about wrongly. Certainly, he, it brought him sorrow. I mean, the people he invested his life in and loved and poured his heart out to, it was painful. He said, as sorrowful, yet rejoicing. I mean, if you are in any service for Christ, you are going to experience sorrow. That comes with it. Your disappointment as well as joy. So Paul was seen as poor, yet making others rich. He didn't have anything materially. He didn't have a, a boat or a vineyard somewhere. But he was bringing the message that makes people rich. Because he knew, I mean, the first, the first letter of the Corinthians, he wrote in chapter 3, that uh, as followers of Christ, we're heirs with him. And so ultimately the whole universe belongs to his heirs. So he's rich, even though in this life, very poor. We are yet to experience our full inheritance as Christ's children. But Paul believed the message he preached, and it changed how he thought and viewed his trials. He was able to endure unfair criticism, false accusation, and he still was able to have joy in serving a Savior. So I hope each one of us here lives in such a way that we bring honor to our Savior. Even if we are misunderstood by people, even if we are despised by them, take heart from the life of Paul. We can endure just like Paul endured. And make sure your life has never been used as a valid reason for people to say, I don't want anything to do with your Christianity. Paul's great love for the Corinthians is seen in verses 11 through 13. And Paul has just poured out his heart, you know, and he, he speaks about, I've opened my heart to you, I've poured out my heart. Why have you closed your heart to me? I mean, how painful. He, he was vulnerable. He put himself out there. I'm telling you, everything going on in my heart. I, he was a spiritual father. He, he had taught them. He had loved them. He had equipped them. And yet they had closed their heart to him. But Paul still loved them. He loved them enough to tell them the truth. 
to deal with sin that needed to be dealt, dealt with, and he just kept on loving them. And I'm going to jump through because I'm running out of time because I want to remind you that you can love people even if they've been unloving to you because love is about doing for people, not getting from people. Paul longed to be loved in return. That's why he says, open wide your hearts to us, please, please. He longed to be reconciled, and to, he honestly told them that he loved them, and he would never give up on them. I want to just touch on the last. Oh. I'll just touch on this last point because it's so important. Where he goes on to talk about spiritual separation, and it really does fit in with the context of what this whole chapter is about. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, a lot of people, when they see this verse, just think, oh, believers shouldn't get married to unbelievers. Well, that's true, and you can that's a principle of application, but there's marriage is not the context here. It's not what Paul is dealing with. <clears throat> when we look at the context, we see that in these verses um, that's set between Paul talking about his love for the Corinthians and his plea that they would make room in their hearts for him. They had been spiritually seduced by men who claimed that they represented Christ, but who were actually false teachers and false apostles. And as they moved and listened to that message, as they moved away from the truth and what they knew about Christ, they also distanced themselves from Paul because Paul was Christ's ambassador. And the reason some had no longer any room in their hearts for Paul is centered around this command. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is a reference to the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy that uh, you don't stick an ox and a donkey together under a harness and have them work side by side. They have nothing that, that can't be. You don't do that. Paul takes this principle and applies it to believers being joined to unbelievers in some type of alliance. Uh, just as you wouldn't put an ox and a donkey to, uh, to work together. So believers and unbelievers shouldn't be bound together because they are so different. We know Paul can't be saying don't be bound, that you don't be with unbelievers because the whole of scripture tells us we are to be with unbelievers in order to share the gospel with them. And he certainly isn't saying if you come to faith in Christ and your, your spouse isn't a believer, then you better leave them and you know don't be unequally yoked. No, he addresses that in 1 Corinthians 7. So what is Paul forbidding here? It's very important, ladies, because most of Christendom doesn't have a clue about obeying this, this portion right here. You can socialize, you can go to dinner, you can play golf with unbelievers, but when it comes to any spiritual partnership, it is sin. The Corinthians had done this by embracing these false religious leaders who had stolen their hearts away from Paul and the simplicity of the gospel message he had taught them. The separation Paul is speaking about in this passage has to do with Christians not being in a partnership with non-Christians in a spiritual type of endeavor. So what does that mean for you and me today? If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and you understand that salvation is by God's grace alone, that Christ made it possible to be reconciled, and yet you stay in a church that teaches otherwise, that tells you, no, you have to do, be baptized, you have to take communion, you have to be in this denomination, you have to, you have to, yes, believe, but this, you are in a place, you, you can't be the one having truth and think that you can stay in a place that does not give the truth. 
You are not to be, you're supposed to come out and be separate from them. And certainly, um, all unions are included in this command, but you think of all the different gatherings. There are ecumenical gatherings where we're all just going to gather together and have this event. And so you have Christians who are true believers joining in a partnership with those who don't proclaim the truth. This is very dangerous. This is wrong. This weakens true believers, their faith, and, and, and it is a very damaging thing that Paul is talking about here. They had let unbelievers come in and influence them. What do you have in common? You can't be yoked together and serve together in some Christian endeavor when you both don't have the same goals, the same motives, the same understanding of truth. So you end up compromising and making your own spiritual life weakened as a result. So, by way of application, this is a tough chapter. <clears throat> uh, I just want to point out that Paul was not a super believer because he was an apostle. He was a Christian like anyone who here who knows Christ. And he has been completely honest in this letter. He has had despair, he's had a broken heart, and yet he endures. And this means that you and I can endure the pressures that come, the trials that come into our lives. We can do the same and continue to be faithful to our God and Savior. And he shows us how to love the unlovable, even the people that accuse you of things that just aren't true. He still loved them. He still had a heart for them. Secondly, living in obedience to God's word, it really does matter because we do not want ever to be ones who are guilty of living in the way that God's grace is in vain or we are a hindrance in any way to the truth of the message we teach and say we believe. And then lastly, be aware of disobeying the clear command to not be unequally yoked in any religious endeavor with those who are not believers. You are to come out and to be separate. And that is the command from God's word. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you for Paul's example to us in suffering and in pressure and in stress and in strain and in backbiting and evil that just continually pounded him. I, I thank you that his focus was to please you. I pray that we would have that same focus and not be caught off and dragged away from the truth by letting our hearts and minds be deceived by all the false teachers that are out there in the bookstores, on Christian TV and Christian radio, who would lead us astray from the purity of the gospel truth. In Jesus' name, amen.